This morning, I will be reading from 1 Samuel 30, 1 through 9. I know this is not a familiar passage, so I will invite you all to follow me on your phone or if you have a Bible with you. No, we don't really come out the Old Testament too often, so this may not be something that you are used to hearing. When you get there, can we get a couple amens? David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziglag. They had attacked Ziglag and burnt it, and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it. Both young and old, they killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by the fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoham of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because of the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to Bethel Valley, where some stayed behind. The title of this sermon is, This is Not the End, It's the Beginning. For a lot of us, this is not the end, it is the beginning. Recently, I had to buy a new car. And I do what all good citizens, respectable people do. I did some research, even if it's only Google. I did my best. And would you know that new car engines aren't really that new? They are used or created from scrap. New car engines are, are the product of scrap metal. The scrap metal is compiled, put in the oven, melted down, poured into a mold. Once it comes out the oven and is allowed to cool down, the rough areas are beaten off and it is smoothed out. The last step in this process is what we see it going into a new car. It looks shiny. It looks new. And it is very expensive. <laughs> and we all contributed to a new engine without any proceeds. We all said our scrap is no good, it's waste. It was discarded and thrown away. When you think about the process David went through, it was no different than the process scrap metal goes through. David had to be molded and put through the fire. In order to understand what I'm particularly saying here, I want to lead you through David's life to see how he was discarded, marginalized, and persecuted like a piece of scrap. See, as a boy, he was a shepherd. He was the youngest. But God saw something that society didn't see. God sent a prophet by the name of Samuel to anoint him 
God said, I don't look at things the way man looks at them. Man looks at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. What David didn't know at the time is that that anointing will come with a price. The price was Saul's or King Saul's jealousy, persecution. David had to leave his home and run for his life. Think about it. Hiding wherever you can find shelter. One of the places that he hid was a cave. While hiding out in the cave, everyone who has suffered some kind of loss or deprivation was discontented, disenchanted, and mistreated in society came to follow David. Overnight, David came to be a leader of the marginalized. He didn't ask for this. Yet, they followed David to the Philistines. Well, I see Pastor David talking, so I'm going to go over here to Pastor David. You, you remember the, uh, the champion Goliath that David slain in his youth, right? Yeah, well, these are the same Philistines that, you know, David had to find himself amongst. When you have to choose between life and death, exile and asylum seems better than death. This is the daily reality for the vulnerable, the poor, victims of violence, and people with disabilities. Yet, there is still hope. David and his men have fought numerous battles against the Philistines before going to the king, Ashish, for asylum. See, for you who don't know, King Ashish was the king of the Philistines. But with every good gift, there's a price. King Ashish gave a small city called Ziglag to David. But there came a time where King Ashish said, hey, David, time to go to war against King Saul. See, Ziglag comes from a Hebrew root word, meaning being pressed on all sides. It lived up to its name. The names that we call ourselves matter. Where we find ourselves matters. David and his men became soldiers for the Philistines in exchange for their asylum. They were living in exile. Imagine. No family. Amongst your sworn enemies. As if exile was not bad enough. This is what you have to see on a daily basis. As everyone marched, they marched. David had been living amongst the Philistines for a year and a half, found no fault with the king, yet the commanders of the Philistine army remembered the songs of David killing his tens of thousands. And they thought to themselves, can we trust David? There was no reason not to trust David. He'd been living with him for at least a year and a half. But when it was time to go to battle, they had second guesses. These second guesses led to the commander's going to King Ashish and say, hey, we are demanding you send David and his men back unless they get on the battlefield and betray us to find favor from King Saul. So, as any good king, I say, would do, who wanted to keep their power, although there was no fault in David and his men, he sent them back. It was a three days journey. Some of you have traveled, on vacation, work, may even be veterans. What is the first thing you want to do when you travel and get back home 
after not seeing your family for several days, several hours, several weeks. Sometimes it don't take days. It could take a shift at work. I'm quite sure that David and his men were thinking about hugging their children and wives, eating a home-cooked meal, sleeping in their own bed. I believe we all will have shared similar thoughts. This was their hope. This is what carried them through their days and nights. One more time, church, follow me. Walk with me. Don't just sit there. Come along. Imagine finally arriving to find everything burnt. On top of that, your wives and children are missing. I see see a lot of spouses out here together. A lot of people are together. It's easy when you have the person beside you. What happened when all that you have, the final pieces that complete you are also missing? This is the experience for these men. They dodge one encounter over here to come and find another crisis at home. David was already a fugitive, homeless, and suffering. His men were homeless, poor, discontent, and suffering as well. Have you ever seen a man truly cry? There are times I've got to tell you when the dam breaks. This was one of those times. It was written that these men cried loudly. Let me say that again. They cried loudly. There was no shame or reservations. This was an ugly cry. Snot coming out their nose. The tears didn't even come out the corner. It came out the sides. This was one of those cries where they was laid out. They cried until they had no more strength left to shed tears. In the midst of their pain, they began discussing David. In response to overhearing their whispers, David became extremely anxious. The same people David led, saved, ate with, counseled, and consoled, became bitter in spirit. No one intervened. No one was hopeful. No one encouraged David. No one sought God. No one prayed. It was written that David had to encourage himself. Not only encourage himself, he had to encourage himself in the Lord. See, we can encourage ourselves. But I only encourage myself, but so far I reach a ceiling at some point. I need somebody else to take me above and over where I can take myself. So I may be talking to myself. You all may don't know what it's like to have to encourage yourself. What type of mindset, spirit, and faith must you have to encourage yourself when you are being pressed on all sides? So it's not just the left, it's not just the right, because guess what? You got somewhere to move. You see this? You know, I'm in Chicago. They do a lot of stepping. You know, you give them a box, they're going to get out of it. But what happens when there's no way to get out of the box? Remember, David lost his two wives. He was in exile. He was a fugitive. And still he hoped. He trusted God. David instructed a beard priest to bring the ephod. My seminary students and Pastor David may know what the ephod is. So I'm going to bring it down in layman terms for my church folks. The ephod was a piece of linen connected to the breastplate that held the stones, yarm and stomach. Yarm and thumbing was used during those times to seek divine guidance from God. Today we have Jesus. But back then, Jesus was not here yet. He was in the process of being sent to us. 
And the question that David asked was, should I pursue them? Will I overtake them? See, I read the story to you in the beginning, and we know that his family is alive. See, they don't know that his family is alive. They don't know what's going on. To them, there's nothing left. God knew. God did not reveal this fact to David. God only told David to pursue the Amalekites and that he would overtake them. I don't know whether David pursued for retribution. I would have. I don't know whether David fought for his honor or his vengeance. I would have. I don't know what David's thoughts were. I do believe that if God had said don't go, David would not have gone. He would have remained obedient. Somehow, David's conviction changed the same men who were hurting, downcast, and bitter. He changed them to follow him. In that moment of talking of stoning David, can you imagine sitting on the side, whispers, and you are David over here preparing yourself, encouraging yourself in the Lord. And you go to the priest, and you say, priest, bring me the ephod. And imagine the men that are following you, and they're thinking about all the battles that you have taken them through. They're thinking about all the struggles that you have endured together. So there became a moment of clarity that they see that David did not respond with the hurt people, hurt people. David went above hurting someone that hurt him. David did not indulge in the whispers. David had the foresight to seek God. Do anyone in here have the foresight to seek God? Do anyone in here have the foresight not to hurt someone who has hurt you? It's very easy to look at what's in front of you with your natural sight. Still, there is a spiritual sight that says these crooked paths can be made straight. These wrongs can be righted. Justice will overtake injustice. See, this morning I come to tell the church, David had to be willing to go through the pain, the hardship, and travel by faith. You can never know what's on the other side unless you take the first step. On the other side for David was his two wives. As we sit here this morning and you look to your left and you see your neighbor and you look to the right and you see your neighbor, we don't know what no one carry. We just see that they are present this morning. But I want you to know, similar to the Waymaker, God has been and is with you. Listen to this again. God has been and with you. God is not a God of I will do. God is doing. So we're not talking about a future tense God. We're talking about a God that is present. The fact that you are able to stand is not in your own might. The fact that you woke up this morning is not in your own might. So I say, no matter your circumstances, never stop turning to God. Through David, we have an example of a person encouraging themselves in a time when they had no one else. Although it may look like the end, it's only the beginning. Better days are here. Trust the process. For God's love is not only unifying, it is liberative. And I say that there was once a time that we was all captive to something. The marginalization, oppression, and injustices that David and his men experienced were because of human actions. The fortitude, perseverance, and delivery that they achieved was because of God. Amen? Amen. God is a God of righteousness and justice. 
There should be no difference between justice and God. I'm going to say that again. I get some people when I walk around, they say, well, let's go to the Old Testament. I say, well, if I go to the Old Testament, I'm going to take you to Micah. If I go to the New Testament, I'm going to take you to Jesus. God is the same God of old and the same God of new. God does not change, only man. So I tell you today, there is no distinction between justice and God. Justice is synonymous with God. That's why you have salvation. Sometimes in a multicultural setting, it is easy to forget that each person brings a different perspective, language, and values. When I think about multicultural settings, I always think about those marginalized. People on the margin sometimes find themselves there for the same reason that David's men found themselves there, which was loss, deprivation, discontent, and mistreatment by society. They walk around voiceless. They are denied access to resources and basic human rights. Because marginalized people do not fit the status quo, the poor where they are treated is normalized. They have no advocates. The only one who heard their cries is God. It's no wonder that God is more than an abstract concept for the people who find themselves marginalized. I once had a conversation with a friend, and this friend happened to be Caucasian. And he said, it's a sad truth, but I came to the cross by being taught and just having to confess my sins. But there are some of us who came through the cross by fire, a baptism through fire, that when I speak of Jesus, I'm not speaking of a theoretical Jesus. When I talk about Jesus, I'm talking about someone that has walked with me and delivered me. When I talk about Jesus, I'm not talking about St. Augustine or any of the church fathers. I'm not talking about the church history. I'm talking about a Jesus that said, hey, this morning, you know, no matter how heavy it may get, you will get through this day. That no matter what fire you go through, I will cover you. You will come out not smelling like smoke. I'm talking about that Jesus. That is a real Jesus. So I would like you to know, how did you get to the cross? Think about what have you been delivered from? People who are marginalized are often pressed beyond measure. We expect them to not only survive, we expect them to thrive. How do we make lament or create room for those who have lost so much? So I would like you to think about that and really sit with it. People say, joy comes in the morning, a storm lasts for a night. People tell you things will be better in a couple of days. Sometimes in a couple of days, things are just the same, if not worse. Sometimes joy don't come in the morning. Sometimes people need to sit with their sorrow. Sometimes people need to sit with their feelings. So I asked the church, how do we create room for lamentation? When we look at God, God didn't tell David things will be better tomorrow. God didn't say pursue the Amalekites and you're going to get your wife and things will be better. No, what God said is do something now. So I don't know what your something now is. For some people it's to crawl. For some people it's to pray. For some people it's to smile. For some people it's just to exist. Maybe take a breath. Life can be overwhelming. Life, life can take the life out of you. Life just ain't lifing. They say favor ain't fair. 
I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, but I'm trying to tell you. David began as a shepherd, anointed to be a king, but he's in the fire right now. So he has to life when life just ain't life. In. This, in this moment, I want to take a moment, because I know this is a thinking church. I look around. We have a lot of seminary students. We have a lot of individuals that look very engaged. And I want you to recall a time when there was no one in your time of need. I want you to recall a time when God was all that you had to make it through. What are some of the things that you have made it through with no one or nothing? It was only God. So I want you to take a few minutes and think about that. And this may be a little spontaneous, but as Pastor David said this morning, this is a congregation full of testimonies. And if there's someone that would like to get their testimony at this moment, this wasn't written, but to share a little bit about what God has done for you, I'm willing to bring the mic for you because maybe someone needs to hear not only what I have to say, but what you have to say. Because the spirit that lives in me and Pastor David also lives in you. So do we have one person that want to talk about the good news, the goodness of God? Do we have anyone brave enough to say, by the grace of God, I stand today? The reason why I ask for someone's testimony, because I want to show you that each of us have our own starting point and compass that affects our relationship with God. Some of us have come to God from the center, others from the margins. Unfortunately, marginalized people are sometimes seen as pieces of scrap and thrown away by society. It is God who sees the value in all people. God is not a divisive God. God does, not, God does something better than restore or reconcile. God transforms people, communities, and circumstances. Although you may go through the fire, God is with you. It is through the fire that you may be transformed, made stronger, and know experientially the unifying and liberating presence of God. Bell Hooks say it this way. If we want a beloved community, we must stand for justice. Have recognition for difference without attaching privilege to difference. Beloved community is formed not by the eradication of difference, but by its affirmation. By each of us claiming the identities and cultural legacies that shape who we are and how we live in the world. In order to go through it and emerge victorious, you have to trust God. Sometimes going back is not an option. We say restore, reconcile. No one wants to go back to the previous state. Me personally, I'm looking for something new. I've been there. In order to get something new, I have to go across. That's the whole prefix of trans. Re is to take you back. God is not looking to take you back. God is looking forward to take you forward. There will come a time in each of your lives where you will have to encourage yourself if it has not already come. Your spouse may not encourage you. Your partner may not encourage you. Your friends may not encourage you. What do you do when there is no one to encourage you? Have you ever had to encourage yourself? How deep did you find yourself in the midst of darkness to bring yourself up to the light? See, I remember what it's like to have to encourage myself. I remember sitting in a dark place mentally and physically. I remember using my hands to cover my eyes, my foot tapping. I remember the dark clouds as they hovered 
above my head. I remember how a glance of light peeped through the gloom in a form of hope. At that moment, I remember how I got down on my knees. And all I can say was the Lord's Prayer. So I didn't, I didn't have the energy or the capacity to come with beautiful words. I didn't even want to pray, to be honest with you. I wanted to ask God, why me? But I did not know the victory was already there. I was called to keep on going. See, we all can hope and trust God when it's going our way. But what do we do when it's not going our way? God doesn't ask you to come with beautiful words. Sometimes God just say, give it to me. You know, prayer looks one way to me. It may look another way to you. Nevertheless, for me, that's what I remember. That's how I got through. I encourage you this morning. When life is crushing, just listen. This is not the end. It's the beginning. Love your neighbor as God has loved you. Amen.